Let's pray one more time. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so, Lord, we love these songs because of the glorious truth in them. And I pray that our hearts will be fixed on you, your death and resurrection, as our great boast. We have a great Savior. And he was pleased to send the Holy Spirit to guide the apostles into all truth. And they wrote words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to spiritual people. And oh, how thankful we are that you left a deposit in writing so that we could know your death, your resurrection, and yourself Where would we be if we were adrift in this world trying to probe into the mysteries of God without written revelation? So thank you. Help us to treasure it. Help us not to make light of it. Have mercy upon those in the church who background it, sideline it, and put themselves forward as analysts of things and culture as though they were wiser, or more creative, or more cool than your holy word. So God, come. Helps to be faithful now to this word as we try to discern how do we read this book supernaturally. We know we must have your help. Our sin and Satan and this world system are so powerful, we would be goners if we didn't have supernatural help. So come, help me now, help us, and teach us how to approach the Word day by day this way. I pray through Christ. Amen. So here we are in our third session, last session, and the topic is the natural act of reading the Bible supernaturally. So the natural act of reading the Bible supernaturally. And my aim is to encourage you in a deep, constant dependence on God, a deep, constant dependence on God in the fullest use of your natural powers in reading the Bible. You got that? My aim is to encourage you in a deep and constant dependence on the supernatural presence, power, help of God in, not just before and after, but in the fullest use of your natural powers. Let me tell you what I mean by natural powers. I mean your ability to see and hear with your natural eyes and ears. I mean your ability to focus on written words, to open a book and focus. I mean your ability to learn the meaning of words and phrases and clauses. I mean, your ability to construe an author's intention 
So if he says, meet me behind the barn, you don't stand in front of the barn. Your ability to remember things that you've learned, memory, your ability to write down thoughts, your ability to get enough sleep and food and exercise so that your powers are assisted by mental alertness and physical vigor. I mean your ability to seek help from other people, dead and alive, for things that you don't understand. That's nine things I mean by natural powers. Basically, I mean the sum of everything you are capable of by virtue of being human and having a simple, ordinary, basic education, like ABCs. Everybody except those who are seriously mentally um, disabled have these natural powers. So, my exhortation is put these to the fullest use. And I, I don't, you heard, maybe you heard it um, earlier, I don't mean... Hope that after you put your natural powers to the fullest use, later the Holy Spirit will will touch that effort and make it insightful or useful for others. I don't mean sequence them that way. I mean as you use your fullest powers in those moments, those very moments, be consciously depending on supernatural help. In it, not after it, or before it, but in it. That's what I'm after in this session, what I think it takes to read the Bible supernaturally as we ought. Every step we take in reading the Bible, from opening the book to starting to say words to ourselves and then construing meanings of words and connecting clauses and seeing themes and penetrating in every step we take should be a step in the Spirit, in reliance upon God's supernatural help. Let me give you an example of how this happened for Peter in the New Testament. So Peter says to Jesus in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, that is the long-promised Messiah, you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus had said, who do, you, who do you say that I am? And that's a very clear and natural sentence. It's understandable. And evidently, he said it in a way with a kind of faith and a kind of allegiance that was not what Satan would experience when he says that sentence, because Satan said the same thing, basically, in the wilderness. If you are the Son of God, and he believed he was, so Satan knows that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So Peter's arrival at this could be satanic, but evidently it wasn't, because Jesus said this, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father, who is in heaven. Now, why did Jesus have to say to Peter how he got 
to that point of understanding and conviction and allegiance? How, why did he have to say that to him? And the reason that question matters is because if Peter had gone out into the wilderness and simply said, God, if, if that man back there that called me away from my fishing is your son, would you cause thunder to happen right now? Boom! Jesus w would not have had to say to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Because he, he just asked for God to reveal it, and God said, boom! And the, the reason Jesus said to Peter, you know, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father, is that Peter had arrived at this conviction by the use of natural powers. That is, he'd been watching Jesus with his natural eyes. He'd been hearing the teachings of Jesus with his natural ears. He'd been using his natural brain to construe sentences back to back so that Jesus was not talking gibberish. And then something happened, radically different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees certainly were not saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter saw the same things they saw with the same natural powers. And he saw something more. He saw self-authenticating marks of divinity and messianic reality. And he fell down, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And at that point, Jesus said, I need to explain to him what has happened. And what has happened, Peter, is that even though you used your natural powers, eyes and ears and brain, that didn't get the breakthrough. That was necessary, but it wasn't sufficient. Because if it were sufficient, everybody here would be seeing this and saying this, and they don't. They want to kill me. So, that's an example of what I mean by the use of your natural powers and those natural powers not being decisive. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So, if you, if you ever see a divine and supernatural light, like it says in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you ever see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ as you're reading the Bible, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. And your aim should be to exercise the fullest use of your natural powers with the prayer, the expectation, and the hope that that more would happen regularly. This combination of natural and supernatural in the effort to read the Bible and understand Jesus is rooted, I believe, has its basis in the incarnation. That is, Jesus is God that's supernatural, and He is man, that's natural. And these two are united in one person with two natures, 
a divine and a human nature. And there's a parallel in this book. This book is inspired similarly to the way Jesus is incarnate. So divine son incarnate in human man becomes God-man. Divine word inspired in human words becomes God's word. And the, the mystery of the incarnation is paralleled in the mystery of inspiration. So the parallel looks something like this. The language of the Bible is natural, like Jesus' body and mind and voice were natural. Jesus could be seen naturally. The Bible can be read naturally. Jesus was more than natural. The Bible is more than natural. Jesus was the Son of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Jesus was uh, incarnate. The Bible is inspired. Jesus spoke in ordinary human language. The Bible is written in ordinary human language. God is united to the man Jesus, and the glory of God is united to the meaning of biblical texts. So there's a, I think the foundation for what I'm saying in this session about engage the fullest use of your natural powers as you depend on supernatural help. That interweaving of the natural effort to read and the supernatural expectation of divine help is rooted in the nature of the book, which has its parallel in the nature of the incarnation. And Christianity is just of that sort of religion. And you would expect that would be the sort of book God would leave us and the sort of reading he would expect from us because that's what he expected of Peter when he said, who do you say that I am? And he did not expect Peter to say what flesh and blood could say. He expected Peter to have done the natural work, follow me, watch me, listen to me, think about me, and then tell me truths that that will not by itself deliver. <laughs> because my father revealed that to you in heaven, not flesh and blood. And so that's the way he wants us, I think, to read the Bible. When I speak of the glory of God in the words of man, in the meaning of the words, I don't mean magic here. I mean, I'm sure this is obvious to, to you, but I, I need to say it. I don't mean that, okay, as you're reading, you expect the essence of the phrase or the words to light up. Like, whoa, the word shall is glowing. It's glowing. That's magic. That's not what I'm talking about. That God doesn't do it that way. Or like when you read a certain phrase, the doorbell rings. Oh, what does that mean? Or there's thunder. Or the lights went out. Oh, darkness. Or that's all magic. God doesn't do magic. God means you construe with all your natural powers, subjects, verbs, objects, prepositional phrases, and participles, according to what you learned in seventh grade with Ms. Adams. And you construe meaning 
by means of flesh and blood. And praying earnestly, you hope, you anticipate, you pray, light. Light will shine through that meaning, and you will see it. It's both. He's a, the, the both and quality of the God-man and the inspired word, natural and divine, is, is expressed very simply in 2 Timothy 2.7 like this. Paul says to Timothy, Think over what I say. This is 2 Timothy 2.7. Just an amazing verse. So helpful. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You think that God gives. And I would say... As you look out across the history of the church or the church today, people kind of divide between falling off that horse on either side. Those who say, right, it says think. That's what I do. I think. That's one group of people. And the other people said, right, God gives, I wait. That's what I do. I pray, I wait. And Paul will not have it. He will not have that kind of separation. He says, think over what I say, and the Lord will give you understanding. And if you say with your cool logic, well, if he gives, I don't need to think. He's going to give it. If he's going to give it, he's going to give it. Or you can say, if he told me to think, I'll think, and I can think my way right through to, to all I need to know. Paul simply won't have it. He will make you be an intellectual and a charismatic. And, and, and if you try to weasel on either of those, you won't have the Bible the way he means. He gives divine gifts in and through thinking. And if you try to shut down your God-given brain in the thinking capacity, he won't give it. He won't. He gave you a mind to construe the meaning of this book, and it's through the construing of the meaning of the book that he grants glorious gifts of understanding and precious insights into his beauty and worth. For the rest of the time here, I want to unpack what has been most helpful to me as far as how in the world do you do the natural so that really the supernatural happens. And when I pose the question, how do I read naturally in such a way that in the natural reading I'm experiencing the supernatural, it hit me, you know, this is simply a particular instance of the bigger question of how to live the Christian life all the time in everything. Because the Bible says, walk by the Spirit. Or one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Here's the way Paul talks about doing everything he does in ministry. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary... I 
worked harder than any of them. That's an amazing statement. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Okay, that's the Christian life. Natural powers. I worked harder. I got up early. I stayed up late. I walked right into the dangerous city. I sang at midnight in Philippi. I did everything I could do. And when he was done, he said, I didn't do it. It was done through me. Now, that's that's the way I want to live. That's the mystery of the Christian life. Or Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Oh, really? Next phrase. But the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the key must be faith. So I'm dead, and it's not me living. Now I'm living by faith. Host. It's these verses like that that cause me to say, okay, reading the Bible is just one particular instance or act in the totality of the Christian life where that issue of how do you do in the natural powers that you have what you have to do in such a way that you're not doing it. That's the Christian life. How can I read my Bible... How can, how can Peter look at Jesus, listen to Jesus, think about Jesus, come to a conclusion about Jesus, so that Jesus will say, you didn't come to that conclusion, God gave you that conclusion. Because everything about him felt like, I did, I did, I came to that conclusion. And you have to be taught, you have to be taught. No, you didn't. Because your sin and Satan won't let you come to a humble Loving, Christ-exalting, God-centered, Bible-saturated conclusion. That's so anti-devil and anti-sin, you'd never get there unless something more than flesh and blood were at work. And yet, Bible readers should probably say, I worked harder than any of them in reading my Bible. Nevertheless, it was not I. So, I find it very helpful to step back. This is John Piper now. Whether you use Aptat, I don't know. You don't even know what Aptat is, maybe. Tell what a junkie you are if you do know what it is. Um, But I love Aptat, A-P-T-A-T. That's my acronym for living the Christian life. And it hit me that, okay, if, if you try to preach that way, make hard phone calls that way, have difficult conversations with your wife or kids that way, get on planes and talk to people next to you that way. If you try to do everything you do that way, maybe you should read the Bible that way. So a huge hunk of this book is applying Aptat to Bible reading. So that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes, is take Aptat, A-P-T-A-T, and I'll tell you what it is if you've never heard of it, uh, and apply it to Bible reading. 
one of the biggest questions of my life that I've been writing about, thinking about, Future Grace is a big book about it, is basically how do you live the Christian life in such a way that you're living it in the power of another and not yourself? Or a way to pose the question would be how do you obey 1 Peter 4.11, which goes like this. Let the one who serves, so that's just whatever you do, let the one who serves serve in the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will get the glory through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the dominion forever. How do you obey that? Are you serving? Good. Serve. Serve in the strength that God, that's supernatural, it's not natural, supernatural, that God supplies. So right at that point is the key to the Christian life. Okay, how, how do you do that? I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times I'd be f- sitting on the front pew uh, 30 seconds before I'm about to stand up and preach, and I would be doing aptat. Did it again this morning, aptat, which is my best effort, and it's exactly what J.I. Packer says, if you need somebody else, and I give you the page, I think it's page 107 and Keep in Step with the Spirit, where I, I said, that's Aptat. When I read it, I said, that's Aptat. Woohoo! Somebody else is saying Aptat, and I, I'm not so weird. So here's, here's Aptat. A, admit that without Christ I can do nothing. I'm just going to walk through it real quick. And then we're going to go back and apply it to the Bible reading. But this applies to everything you do. Everything you do. You're going to take a hike this afternoon? Do Aptat. And, it'll, and you'll be hiking in the Spirit. If you really do it. If it's not mechanical. So the first thing you do before you hike, preach, read your Bible, whatever you got to do, is admit Jesus, John 15, 5 says, apart from me you can do nothing. That's literally true, but he probably means it in terms of nothing spiritually useful. I mean, you can't live without Jesus either. You'd, you'd vanish out of existence if he stopped thinking about you. Your, your molecules are being held together by Jesus. It says so in Colossians 1.17. All things are being held together by him. You just go poof and you'd be a non-entity if Jesus decided not to think about you anymore. God holds all things in being. That's probably not what Jesus means here. Probably he means, if you, if you try to pull your branch out of the vine, you go about your life, but it'll be useless. You'll come to the end of your life, and you will have accomplished lots of money, lots of fame, lots of uh, physical pleasures, and you will feel totally zero because you've accomplished nothing of any lasting value, of any spiritual value. So I think that's what he means. So admit that. Let's just get humble before the Lord and totally admit that. Number two, P, A-P, ap, pray. So once you admit that you're helpless, you pray for whatever you need. <laughs> you got a tough phone call to make with a, a child. You're not sure what he's doing or thinking or, or some principal calls you and said he talked to you about your kid. You know, it's not going to be a fun phone call. I don't, 
So what do, you, what do you do so that you do it in the Spirit and you pray? I need wisdom, so God give me wisdom. And I need patience, God give me patience. And I need self-control so I don't get angry. And I need uh, hope because I'm feeling despairing about this kid. And You've got all these needs. You pray for that to come while you're on the phone with this principle. That's P. And the text, a lot of text, you could say, Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. He's a prayer hearing God. T, A-P-T, trust in a specific promise of God that is tailor-made for your situation. Trust, T. So the, it, I think living the Christian life means you've got to have some Big general senses of confidence rooted in particular verses. And for me, it's, it's Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand or the right hand of my righteousness. That promise has served me in a thousand situations when I couldn't think of another verse that was more specific to my situation. I will help you is a pretty good promise. <laughs> if the God Almighty says, I'll help you on this phone call, you can relax. Isn't that wonderful? If you believe it, this is why the T matters. You can say promises to yourself and just feel just as anxious when you're done saying them as when you started because you don't believe them. They are not taking root. You're just not believing them. You don't believe he's that good. That he's really going to show up on this phone call like that. You don't believe it, and so you stay anxious. But if you believe it, there's a kind of a peace that begins to settle in. It's okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to work all things together for good here. We'll come back to the particulars when we get to the Bible. A, A-P-T-A, now having admitted you can't do anything uh, of any lasting value and having prayed for help and having trusted the promise for help, now you act. And you act. Paul said, I worked. I worked. And Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You work. Get up. Get out of bed. Prepare your sermon. You know, prepare the business report. You, you, all, you all know this. Change the diaper. Make the meal. Sweep the floor. Cut the grass. Get out there. Do what you got to do. God's given you a body and a brain and eyes and ears, and he expects you to be an active human being. Work. That's the A. And Philippians 2.12 is the verse I wrote down. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is the one who is at work in you to will and to do. So, yeah. You're lying in bed. You want to read your Bible before you go to work. You're dog tired. Probably you shouldn't say to Jesus, if you want me to read my Bible, would you just lift me out of this bed? I don't think he'll do it. Because he's told you the solution. Get up. Act. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the last one, I perceive. It's a paradox. Self-control. <laughs> Actually, in Greek, the word self isn't there. It sounds kind of odd in English. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. 
Okay, act. A-P-T-A. And after you've acted, the sermon is over, the phone call is over, whatever, the hike is over, and you're finished with that piece of obedience in your life, the last T is you thank Him. You thank Him. Give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus, Ephesians 5.20. So that's the way I try to obey 1 Peter 4.11, which says, let him who serves serve in hiking, serve in baking, serve in preaching, serve in reading, serve in running, serve in planning, whatever the service is. Let him who serves serve in the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will get the glory. And I, I, go, I go through Aptat. Now, let's apply it to Bible reading and see whether or not this helps you demystify the peculiar notion of using all your natural powers in dependence on supernatural power so that your reading is supernatural reading. A, admit. Let's just go through them again, apply them to the Bible. A, admit. Jonathan Edwards quotes... Psalm 25, 9, and say, which says, He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. And then he comments like this. Pride, the opposite of humble, pride is, the very, is a very great obstacle to entering, to the entering of divine light Yea, and such an obstacle as will eternally prevent it till it be mortified. I think that's an accurate inference from Psalm 25, 9. Psalm 25, 9, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches. So you get divine instruction as you read the Bible if you're humble. And so Edwards flips it around and he says, pride is a huge obstacle to that divine light teaching entering. Indeed, it is such an obstacle as will eternally prevent it till it be mortified. So the A, as we begin Bible reading, is to mortify pride. Put it to death. Be utterly helpless before the Lord. Be like a little child. Unless you turn and become like children, you can't read the first page of the Bible with any spiritual understanding. And thus be saved. So we must just rid ourselves and renounce all self-reliance and all pride and all desires to use this Bible for our own ego enhancement and be done with it. And as, as all of that junk drains out of our heart. All that pride and self-reliance drains out. What a readiness there is for divine light. That's what Edwards is arguing. So humility is implied in A, admit 
that you can't do anything here. And uh, does that remind you of yesterday's James 1.21 text where it said, receive with meekness the implanted word. Meekness and humility are almost the same. They're listed side by side uh, in Colossians 3, so I don't think they're exactly the same, otherwise he, they'd just be repetition. I think humility is probably the deeper inner experience, and meekness is the way it starts to show itself in demeanor out, outwardly. And so he's saying, humility and meekness, that's the way you welcome the Word, in all meekness and lowliness. That's the way it's going to prove to be supernatural in your life. So that's step number one. If you ask me, what's step number one in reading my Bible supernaturally this evening? I would say, as you open your Bible, just pause and do this A, which means inasmuch as God enables you, renounce all self-reliance. You're going to do a lot of self here. You're going to read, you're going to think, it's going to feel very self. So it's a conscious act. I am not going to rely ultimately on what I'm about to do in in exercising my powers that God has, has given me. I'm not going to rely on that. I'm going to realize that without divine help, I won't make any progress here in seeing spiritual light. That's step one. P, we pray for help. Now, I'm going to linger over this one because I do think this is right, it's about as practical as you can get in reading the Bible supernaturally. It's, it's the one I'm most conscious of. Um, as, as I'm reading my Bible, I am conscious almost every verse, help me, help me, help me, illumine me, change me, deliver me, free me, just, just constantly pee, praying. Now, um, I've got another acronym. This is going to get complicated. I only have two, but I'm laying them right on top of each other. Uh, I have a, a prayer acronym. and um, I need these because, frankly, here I am. I've, I've read the Bible 60 years, and I can be over my Bible at times, and my mind is such a muddle, I, I can't think of even what to pray way I am. So, to help me break through those muddles, I've got these little acronyms. And this one is I-O-U-S, I-O-U-S, I-O-U's. And I'll walk through I-O-U's briefly with you, because this, this takes the P of Aptat and makes it very practical. So, what do you pray? You pray I-O-U-S, I, incline. Psalm 119, verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to gain. So my alarm went off at 6.30 this morning, didn't want to wake Greg up yet. So I, I uh, instead of, you know, getting in bed, turning the light on my Bible, I, I did that. I, I, I uh, no, I'm not. My daughter just says, are you available now? But, <laughs> um, so I opened this to my Logos word and, and I, and I read my, I read three chapters in my Bible, and as I did it, I, I asked God to incline my word. Now, in a sense, I was already inclined because I had the discipline to just, you know, 
find it and do it. But there's a difference between just raw discipline and an inclination that's leaning in with a sense of expectancy. And, and that's what this prayer is in Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your, to your testimony. So you ask him to incline your heart. And by, This may sound, uh, I don't want that to go by too fast, because if you really pray that and mean it, you are surrendering to God the deepest root of your being. Think about it. You're saying to God, take over my wants. Not my behavior. My wants. W-A-N-T-S. Take over my desires. Take over my inclinations. Well, how, how, do you, how does a being... I mean, you wouldn't surrender that to any man. You'd become, what? They'd put a plug in your head. And you'd surrender totally your wants to other people. And they'd be creating wants in you. But this is, that's what you're willing to do to God. Because God has a way to rule your wants without dehumanizing you. It's, it's, it's the greatest mystery, perhaps, in the world. How the divine rule of God over the deepest root of a person's being, producing all of his inclinations, can leave that person a responsible, whole, non-robotic human being. So this is, don't take this lightly. When I tell you to pray this way, I am telling you, surrender utterly to God. Give him the root of your being so that he produces your inclinations and you finally, decisively are not the one who does. I owe, so we're still under P of Aptat doing I-O-U-S. O, open my eyes. O stands for open. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. That is, as I'm using my mind, my eyes, to construe meaning, take these eyes in here and open them to things I would not see otherwise. So, this morning, I'm reading Galatians 1. And Galatians 1, verse 3 or 4, says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, According to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever. I've read that hundreds of times, and I've loved it many times. And as I looked at it and thought about it, delivered by dying for my sins, delivered 
from an evil age. And I just sat there thinking, how is this age evil? What, are the, what does it mean to call an age evil? So Greg's over there sleeping. I'm in my pajamas in bed with my phone thinking about the biggest things in the world. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> I won't go into all the things that I think I saw. It can maybe a, an article someday. But, but here's a structure I'd never seen. Um, see, I can do it in, in the air. I, I wrote it in my, I wrote it in my Evernote. Um, God, um, grace to you. So grace at the top. From God, the Father, through Jesus. So grace, Father, Jesus, who died for your sins, deliver you from the present evil age. Um, According to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever. So, it goes, uh, grace at the top, glory at the bottom, and then the Father underneath, and then the Father down here, according to the will of the Father. So, this is, this is a chiasm. <laughs> so, you got grace, Father, Jesus, Jesus dying, Father, glory. So all the pieces are perfectly parallel, that is, Father, Father, Jesus, Jesus, death for sins in the middle, but grace is replaced with glory at the bottom, which just happens numerous times in the New Testament where everything is flowing from grace and leading to glory. I've never seen that before. I still need to work on it to see whether I'm overanalyzing it because that's always a danger. But I doubt that God would have let me see that if I hadn't prayed, oh. He might have. I mean, he's a gracious God. He doesn't hold back everything because we don't ask for everything. But he loves to answer prayer. <laughs> he really does. Oh. A little caution here. Beware of ever making a case for an insight that you got from the Bible by arguing that you prayed for it. See what I'm saying? So if you get into a conversation with somebody and you want to show them what you saw and they're not sure it's there, never say, well, I prayed before I saw it. And therefore, when I saw it, it must have been a work of God that I saw it. Never argue that way. Because, here's the problem, it's pulling rank on those who have equal access to the words. They could say the same thing, maybe. You honor the Holy Spirit's work in inspiring this book when you argue from the book. That's the way you honor this text. So if if he says, I don't see it. You don't say, but I prayed for my insight, so it must be from God. You go to the words and show him it's there. You show him the words. You show him the logic. You show him the phrases. You show him the parallels. And you convince him it's there from the words. And the Holy Spirit has a big smile on his face. That's my word he's doing that with. He's he's really loving and caring about my word, not his spiritual experience that he had while he was praying. So that's a caution of 
misusing the O of uh, I-O-U-S. I-O, I'm going to put U and S together because the goal we're after, remember, in reading the Bible is that we might exalt God with white-hot worship, and that means U and S have to happen. I-O-U-S, you unite my heart to fear your name, Psalm 8611, and S, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad in you, Psalm 90, verse 4. So Psalm 86, 11, Psalm 90, 14, not 4, 14, what do those two words mean? S, satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. That is a prayer. Do you pray it when you read your Bible? Because we all want to come away from the Bible with a sense of of peace, a sense of well-being, a sense that God's going to help us, just a, a wonderful result of meeting with God, hearing His Word, gaining an assurance, walking in confidence, able to do our work in the power that He supplies at satisfaction. That's the best satisfaction there is, to walk away from the Word with God, not leaving God, with God, right into your day, knowing He's with you. He's going to help you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Those promises are, are real for you now, and you're walking in Him. And you, I owe you, is unite, which means you don't want your satisfied heart to be fractured into pieces with part of it worrying about this and part of it thinking about that and part of it going over there to plan that and this little part over here is trying to experience satisfaction. A a, a disunited heart is (coughs) very hard to live with and we all struggle with it. I mean, that, that is one of the biggest obstacles to reading the Bible with fruit is to to kneel down over the Word of God and have ten things come to your mind that need to be done that day. And ten sorrows in your life and ten pressures from your business. And just how in the world do you make any headway in communing with God when your heart's just being, you got this financial peace, you got this health peace, you got this family peace, and they're all just clamoring for attention and anxiety. Well, the... The psalmist pled with the Lord that God would unite his heart. (laughs) That's the only way I know. Do what he did. God, please take my heart with all of its ten pieces right now and unite it for these minutes we have together so that all of them are on you. So he prayed for you. Unite my heart with the satisfaction that I find in you. Now, here's the problem with I-O-U-S. <laughs> the quiz, if I had it. <coughs> it ends with S, and where do you experience S? Like, yeah, inside. Now, how does anybody know that you're experiencing S? They don't, unless... <laughs> you know, we're back to God doesn't mean to be honored invisibly, right, in the world. Like he's going down and looking through the top of your head and seeing a heart of satisfaction. There's one and there's one and there's one. And nobody knows whether anybody has satisfaction in God. 
satisfaction in God, according to 2 Corinthians 8, 2, overflows in a wealth of generosity or love. So we, I, I wish oozle worked. Oozle, I-O-U-S-L. It's like love or lead or I thought about doing it with another S and just say I-O-U-S, like satisfaction and send. Like send me now, send me bodily into the world to, to show people that you are all satisfying. But um, L is the one that I tend to go back to most often because of texts like lead me in, your, in the path of your commandments, Psalm 119.35, lead me in the paths of righteousness, and love, Psalm 23, 3, lead me in your truth and teach me. And, and of course, those are paths of love and righteousness. So the L could be either L for love or L for, for lead. But, but I-O-U-S is massively helpful to me in telling me, okay, when you get to the P of Aptat, you admit that you're helpless and you start praying for what you need in Bible reading, what do you pray for? Incline my heart. Open my eyes, unite my heart, satisfy my soul, lead me in paths of righteousness as I read your word. That's my effort to do Aptat as I come to the word. So here we are now at T, A-P-T, trust. This is, I suppose, the hardest for me because... um, you can use your willpower to pray. You can't use your, your willpower to make trust happen. You can, you, can, you can look at something trustworthy. You can remind yourself that it is trustworthy. You can, you can in as much as lies within you, say, I now trust you, Jesus. But you do or you don't. And it's, a, it's an affection. It's not a thought. Trust is not a thought. You can't. You can make yourself have certain thoughts. You, you can't make yourself have certain affections. And so this, this is hard. And it's not only hard because God has to work it, but it's hard because I tend to forget it. I, I tend to remember the things I can do and forget the things like this. That right now as I start to read my Bible, I can have cries out to God, a cry out to God that he would do this, this, and this, and then immediately start reading without pausing to say, do I think he's going to do that? You see the gap? You're praying five things you'd like him to do. Some peace you need and some sight of his patience and kindness, a fresh glimpse of the gospel, just things you want him to do and you ask him. And then you start reading. And you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 T, T, T. Do you believe he'll do it? I mean, God delights to be trusted, not just asked. I mean, what, what does a parent feel when a, when a kid asks him for something and walks away and his friend says, did you ask him? He says, yeah, but I don't think he'll do it. How does a parent feel? So it doesn't honor God to ask him for things and then start working without any trust. Do you believe it? This is, this is the one I'm, I, I need most help with. You want to pray for me? Pray for the tea. 
<laughs> in my Bible reading. Because I, I think it's so, I'm just wired to be an activist, and, and I can act prayer, and I can act read. I can't act trust. I, I, I have to pause there and say, God, come, please help me. In as much as it lies within me, I trust you now. I ask that you give me this trust, and I trust him. So here's, here's James 1, verses 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's all of us, let him ask God. All right, good, that's clear. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And a few verses later, he talks about the double-minded man will receive nothing from the Lord. And I think the connection between a wave, this way, that way, and the double-minded man is this way, that way. So what is the double mind that doesn't get its answer to prayer? when it seeks wisdom. Um, I, the way I would put it, and this is just my best effort, it, it means you're coming to the Bible, you need wisdom. Wisdom for a life decision. Wisdom for a relationship, whatever. You need wisdom. And you, you ask Him for it. God, I need wisdom. You're the only one who has the kind of wisdom I need. Would you please give it? And then you start reading. And this says, let him ask in faith, not being a doubter driven around, not being double-minded. What, at that moment, what would be the double mind? And I think the double mind would be, you are a good God and a generous God and you love to answer your children, and you have promised to meet every need that we have, and I am praying for wisdom. That's one mind. And the other mind would be, well, you probably won't give this to me. That's double-minded. And, and he doesn't want us to be double-minded. Double-minded is a split mind that is trying to trust God over here and really doesn't think he's good. He's not good. And not generous, like it says here. And he's going to give some reproach with it, unlike it says here. And so we must plead with the Lord, don't let us be split like that. Don't let my mind be an unbelieving mind, a doubting mind, a, a, a mind that puts the worst face on you. And over here, a mind that's saying you're good, you're generous, you're going to help me, you're going to come through with the wisdom I need. God is dishonored by that kind of division in the mind, and it says the double-minded man is not going not to receive his request. So, we must trust that promise when we go to the Word that God is going to give us what we need. And here are just a few other trust-building verses that I used. I said Psalm 40, I mean uh, Isaiah 41.10. 
Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll help you. So I believe that when I read my Bible, I can use that verse. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I'll hold you up. As you read this word, I will give you help. Or Psalm 25, which says, uh, verses 8 following, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Yes, he will. He instructs us in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. Yes, He will lead us. He teaches the humble His way. Yes, He will teach me. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will He instruct in the way. So that's a great passage for doing tea in Aptat. Okay, I trust those promises right now as I go to read my Bible and seek the wisdom that I need. Next A. A-P-T-A, act. And right here is where the fullest powers are brought into into play. Because my point in this whole message is to encourage you to go deep and constant in the fullest use of your natural powers as you depend on God in your Bible reading. So right here, the A says, okay, reading. go ahead, act. It's come back to 2 Timothy 2.7. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So you think. This is where thinking kicks in. Or Here's another one. You know this verse. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best. The Greek word there, spudasan, means be earnest. Make every effort. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, ergatain, worker. I looked all the uses up. A worker, a hard worker, who does not need to be ashamed. Which, rightly handling the word of truth. He almost forgot the most important part. Rightly handling the word of truth. So clearly, you're supposed to work your tail off in reading the Bible. I mean, look at the book, it's hard work for me. I spend about 45 minutes to an hour trying to figure out two verses, and then trying to figure out what would be the best way to do it on the screen this is, this is ergotain. This is the sort of thing that people do that makes them tired at the end of the day. You know, m- most laborers who work with their hands, you know, brick masons and carpenters, and they think I don't work. <laughs> and I get that. I get that. I sit in my chair all day long. I, just, I sit and sit and sit. So why, why does a sitter get tired? <laughs> why? The brain is a muscle. I don't know if it's a muscle. It's a muscle. What I mean is, I mean is, you tell it to do things like, like this is a muscle, right? I say, lift my hand. Look at that. That's incredible. I mean, this brain talks to that muscle and says, lift my hand. That's amazing. The brain is the same amazing thing. I'm going to say right now, think about Talitha who just texted you, and what does she want? I just made my brain do that. <laughs> and, and reading the Bible is way harder than that. And so the brain, when it's pushed on, think, stop, you want a break? No, you're not getting a break. Think, 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 push through, 8, 10, 14 hours. That's like digging a ditch. <laughs> kind of. Feels like it anyway. Just a different kind of tiredness. Now, why did I say that? Okay, I'm going to read the verse again, and you'll see why. Do your best. Make every effort to present yourself to God 
a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So I'm just reading that verse as an illustration of the A, act. Act. Be a worker in the word. A worker of looking and reading, a worker of analysis, a worker of thinking, a worker of composition and putting pieces together. It's, it's like, I had, this is such an obvious analogy, I should have used it earlier. It, sometimes on vacation, we'll buy a puzzle, like a 500 or 1,000 piece jigsaw puzzle, put it on a card table, and just stop by for 15 minutes once a day, you know, something like that. And you see it there, and you say, oh, we're going to find this. And you get it down to about 20 pieces in the middle or on, on, somewhere. Now, how do you, how do you finish it? You, you, you pick up a piece, and you look at it, okay, it's got a protrusion there and one here. Okay, so we've got to find a hole there and, and a poke out here. So, that's the way I read the Bible. You, you've, got a, you've got a three verses, and it breaks down into maybe six or eight propositions, and you're trying to... Okay, grace from... The Father and from Jesus who died according to the will of the Father, uh, through Jesus to whom belongs be glory. <laughs> That's acting. That's acting. Let me see where I am here. And we do it, of course, all day long. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay, close with the last T. So, A, admit, P, pray, with I-O-U-S filling it out. Um, A, act, T, thank. So, we, we thank him. We close our Bible. We've done our 15 minutes, half hour, one hour, obedience. And we've, we close our Bible with whatever He's given us, and we thank Him. We thank Him that He gave us His Word. We thank Him that He humbled us before His Word. We thank Him that He brought us to prayer. We thank Him that He gave us some measure of trust in His promise to help us. We thank Him for inclining us to read. We thank Him for opening our eyes to whatever measure of wonders we saw. And if we saw little if we're not as happy about that hour as we might be, we thank Him for the gospel. We thank Him that He's patient. And we thank Him that He died to pay for my sin of blindness this morning. And we, we may grieve that we saw so little. We may wish it were better. But we've seen the gospel We've seen Jesus, in, like I did this morning, afresh in Galatians 1.4, who died for our sins to deliver us from this evil age. And whatever else the structure there, however those pieces fit together, that's glorious. <laughs> that's glorious that, that John Piper has been delivered from the present evil age by blood shed by the Son of the living God. That just can't get any more glorious than it is. So I may not have seen 
everything there, and I might have missed a hundred things in Galatians chapter 1, but I saw that, and I'm thankful for it, and I asked for forgiveness what I missed that may have been needed when I called my daughter in an hour to find out what she wanted. I may have missed in that text what I was supposed to get for her. But there too, we go to the gospel, we say, if not that, you know, come through with something else. He's, he's not a begrudging father. So I end, let me summarize where, we, where we've been. We've been trying to uh, open what the goal of Bible reading is, to establish that it, because of the great obstacles of Satan and sin, it must be supernatural or we won't see the glory that will transform us there. And nevertheless, not in spite of, but in and through the supernatural work of God, we naturally engage all our powers. So I'm going to walk backward through where we've been and, and then pray. Uh, the purpose of reading our Bible is to reveal uh, God's purpose, reveal God's infinite worth and beauty as the ultimate value and excellence in the universe. To open the eyes of His people to see that glory so that we savor the excellence of God more than all created treasures. Beholding, we are being satisfied and we are being changed until the bride of Christ, all of us from all the cultures and all the centuries are complete in number and beauty for white-hot worship of God forever and ever. And that purpose that He has for giving us a Bible and inclining us to read the Bible cannot fail because He's watching over His Word to perform it. So, I encourage you, as people who I know are already lovers of God's Word, I encourage you to give yourself the fullest, deepest, most constant, natural powers that you have in the pursuit of things that cannot be seen any otherwise than supernaturally. Because your life won't have lasting significance if you don't see those, and you won't be fully satisfied if you don't see them. Father in heaven, we need your help every day. We've never arrived, we never will arrive in this age to a point where we don't need more and more and more help in reading our Bibles with the greatest natural investment of our powers and the greatest experience of supernatural help and illumination. So, put this together for us, I pray, and take us forward in the rest of our lives so that we go deeper and wider and higher in our discovery of your glory and your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.